You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we see you transformed, transfigured before us this day through the words of Holy Scripture. Bless us now, Lord, that your word may transfigure us. Change us through and through our darkness into your light, our weakness into your power, our ignorance into your knowledge, that we might live and love you better. We ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's no accident that Peter speaks of the prophetic word being confirmed in reference to the transfiguration. I'm going to be mostly preaching out of 2 Peter today. Um, I felt convicted by this early in the week. I was preparing for uh, my sermon and our a note from headquarters, uh, the NALC said, you know, if your congregation knows the transfiguration story pretty well, consider preaching on 2 Peter. And I, I felt God speaking to me through that request because I think of the sermons I've preached for the last five years here and I feel like we've hit it pretty hard. But what's great about 2 Peter is that it's the same situation but told from Peter's perspective as one who was standing there on the mountain. And Peter talks about the prophetic word being fulfilled in that holy moment. Now he's talking about this moment when the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament appear and are conferring with Christ on the mountaintop. Moses is the great prophet of God's deliverance and the Sinai covenant. The Ten Commandments we still teach our youth when they reach confirmation age. And Elijah is the great prophet of God's faithfulness in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness. (coughs) Now, what these two great prophets have in common is that according to Jewish tradition, they were both bodily assumed (coughs) into heaven. Their bodies were taken up. We have the story very clearly in Scripture of this happening to Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 3 to 9. And that's why I'm preaching from the pulpit. I got a lot of Bible references, and I know people listen to this on the podcast so they can look things up. I don't want to get them wrong. Now, Moses is a little bit less conclusively attested to in the New Testament, in Jude 1, 9, where it speaks of Michael the archangel contending with Satan for the body of Moses. But both were taken to heaven bodily, according to the Jewish tradition, because they were the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And that's, that's the prophetic word Peter's speaking about today. 
the testimony that Christ himself will give witness to on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, that the entire Old Testament is God's telling the story about he will send his anointed one to deliver his people from the spiritual power that oppresses them. And this begins right at the beginning of the Bible. Jesus is the child of Eve who will crush the serpent's head from chapter 3 of Genesis. He's the fulfillment of the promise to King David that his line would sit on the throne of Israel forever because he's a descendant of David. That's given in 2 Samuel 7.16. He's the prophet greater than Moses, whom Moses himself said would come in Deuteronomy 18.18. The one whose every word would come true. He is the promised deliverer, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. All those words mean the same thing. Which was expected by faithful Jews everywhere based on the testimony of every prophet from Isaiah to Malachi. The prophetic word that Peter's talking about is the entire Old Testament, all 39 books. And I understood as I was planning for this sermon, why our denomination wanted me to lift this up, because this points to an important principle of the Reformation, that Scripture is the rule of faith. Scripture is the thing we use to measure the church and see whether it's living up to God's requirements. It's the measure for every prophetic utterance, every word of teaching, every course of action. So, how do we in our day and age measure the self-styled prophets who clutter our landscape? The Christian social media influencers, even our own actions, and those of the people we love. How do we know whether what we're saying is true or false, what they're saying is true or false? We measure it by the rule of the Scripture. And this is why we study the Scriptures so hard, why we come back to them again and again. See, I understand that coming to learn the Bible is a lifetime thing, and even there we don't get to the end of it. As as Michael's fond of saying, none of us graduates from Bible study till we meet the author of the book. And this is why we have on our website, if you land there, this quote by Jerome the Translator, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So we come back to the scriptures again and again because it is in Christ that their prophetic utterances are fulfilled. And we don't do this because God is so demanding. It's because Christ's depths are so bottomless. There's always more to learn. And we also do it because our adversary, our adversary is incredibly cunning. Arguably the last 200 years of Western history, from the reign of terror during the French Revolution, through the Nazism and fascism of World War II, 
to the creeping authoritarianism of our own day is a case study in how our enemy can use the best of our desires, compassion and a desire for justice, how he can use them and the powers and principalities of this world that St. Paul talks about over which he has such influence, how they can use those very good things inside of us to lead us into the worst of atrocities and even the denial of reality itself. At least a good number of us in this room still remember the Cold War. <coughs> remember the name of the Soviet newspaper? Pravda. Truth. And the truth was whatever they were going to say it was. The denial of reality. It can, it can go that far. And when I talk about the creeping authoritarianism of our own day, I'm going to get gritty with this for a minute. Last week, our Catholic brothers and sisters who prefer the Latin mass were identified in a leaked FBI memo as targets for infiltration by the FBI. Much the same way some mosques were targeted following 9-11. Apparently, because they hold the teaching of the church, and so they will not collude with the powerful cultural and political forces in a denial of Genesis 1.27. They won't join in saying that we are not born male or female, which is a cultural and political assertion that the hard, measurable, quantifiable science will not support. Now, the whistleblower who brought this internal document forward, detailing the policy, is not Catholic, but they gave it to another agent who is Catholic, who broke it to the news and is currently suspended. His name's Kyle Seraphim, and he said this. He said this person said to him as they were giving him the document, in a very simple way, that if they're going to go after the radical traditional Catholics, then traditional Baptists are next, and traditional evangelicals, and anybody else that espouses what they think of as radical, which is essentially what Christians have taught and believed from the beginning of time. They consider that dangerous to our country. Now, all this stuff is, is in the investigation stage, but if it's true, and there's a bunch of attorney generals pushing for an investigation on this, if it's true, these Catholic brothers and sisters need us to be on our knees in prayer for them for a very Reformation reason, <laughs> because they're holding to the authority of Scripture. And they need us to stand shoulder to shoulder with them also as all of us together compassionately but clearly speak the truth that some people with the best of motives don't want to allow to have a hearing. I, I say this with incredible pain because this deeply affects people I know and love. Several people I know and love. And it affects even more of my friends, some of them going back three and four decades, who don't share my convictions on this. If it doesn't break my relationships with them entirely, it, it still may put a perhaps irreconcilable strain on them. St. Paul 
wrote this in the book of Ephesians. He says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. See, we are easily beguiled by our adversary. For if he cannot induce us to the violent, mechanistic logic of truth without love, he will seduce us by the blindly loyal irrationality of love without truth. The Jesus, who is the head that St. Paul was just speaking about, who is the fulfillment of all prophecy that Peter speaks about, is and has for us a better way. And this was really lifted up to me by a story I shared with one of our new members last week after, after church. Um, I'm going to share with all of you now. I just heard it a couple of months ago because I heard it at our regional convocation. Um, one of our pastors, the largest church in our denomination is Upper Arlington Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio. One church, two campuses, several thousand people in worship every Sunday. It's a big place. One of their many pastors is a guy named Jeff. And um, Pastor Morlock, a few months before he left there, he's now serving at our seminary, but a few months before he left there, got a surprising email followed by a phone call from someone in the greater Columbus community. This person called and said, you know, it says on your website, you welcome all people. Is that really true? Pastor Morlock said, well, yes. Yes, of course it is. And he said, well, the voice on the other end said, well, I'm, I'm a trans woman, which means born male presenting as female. He says, do you think I'd be welcome at your church? Pastor Morlock says, well, of course you'd be welcome, but you need to know our church isn't endorsing or supportive of the choices you're making with your life or the way you feel. And the guy said, oh, I, I know, I know, but I still want to come. Would it be okay? Would I be welcome? Pastor Morlock said, well, I can't, I can't promise you that everyone in the church is a mature Christian, but I can promise you that I'll welcome you. And I'll prep the staff so they know to welcome you if someone who looks a little different and acts a little different shows up. <coughs> And uh, the person came to worship, came for a couple of weeks and cornered Pastor Morlock at the coffee hour and said, uh, you know, I've got some friends in my community I think would probably like to come here too. Could I bring them? At this point, Pastor Morlock was perplexed and said, yes, but, but why? And he said, well, because we were going to all these other churches that were affirming us, but they don't talk about Jesus, and you do. Understand, 
they, there's now a huge part of the trans community in Columbus, Ohio, going to our church in the, in the North American Lutheran Church, which doesn't affirm them in what they thought of as central to their identity, but lifts up for them something far deeper and more lasting. In fact, a center for their identity that will last <laughs> unto eternity. And they're hearing faithful biblical preaching because of it. See, the Christian faith, like this day, is all about Jesus. Full stop. Now that does not mean that we don't agree that the world is difficult. In fact, some of the difficulties I've covered in this sermon are just like scratching the surface of what's out there, right? I mean, we all know that this world is full of trouble and can and does entail travail. Difficulties that, like Peter, make us want to camp out on top of the mountain. I, I, I love Peter. I, <laughs> I, I'm right with him. Let's stay here, Lord. Here, where the voice of the majestic glory, I love how he describes it, shine, comes thundering down as Jesus is re- revealed to them in splendor. <coughs> but Jesus has a different plan. And that's the good news of today. The good news of today is not what happens on the mountain. It's who leads us down the mountain. Who leads us down the mountain? I know you're Lutherans. You're not used to talking back, but this is not a trick question. (laughs) Who leads us down the mountain? Jesus. Who walks with us through all the dangers and the troubles of this life? Who bears our sin? Who, who endures our cross? Jesus. Who, who submits himself to our shame? Jesus. Who rises triumphant over the worst that this world can throw at him and will raise us up with him to eternal life? Jesus. And it's Jesus who's walking with us now, leading us now, teaching us now, till we know a way of life that is worthy of the manner, the call to which we've been called. He who has begun a good work in us will complete it. Yes, Jesus will be with us. He will teach us. And he will teach us that only truth married to love is language and behavior worthy of a child of the living God. Worthy of him who is the embodiment of prophecy and who is God's final word to humanity. So as we live through the journey of this life, as life here in the valley, right? Where we look forward with hope to our eventual return to the mountain. As we think and kind of reflect on that, especially the next six weeks of Lent as we get ready for our resurrection celebration at Easter, let us attend to the words of Scripture through which Christ calls us and gathers us and enlightens us and sanctifies us till we are transformed by the renewing of our minds and not conform to this world.
till our understanding rises to meet our faith. Until our faith is made perfect in perfect love. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, thank you so much for sending us Jesus. For we know when we look upon him, we have seen the Father. As we see him transformed before us, resplendent in the glory he possessed before the world was created, let us fearlessly follow him. That our fears about this life might be set to the side. Let us trust in him who alone has power over sin, death, and the devil. That we may live courageous lives full of your love and truth. We ask it in his precious name for he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light.